Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Well, I always get excited when I have a new episode, but I have a fellow Canadian, which near and dear to my heart. So Dan Pontefract, please tell me I said your name correctly. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Deb. Yes, you did. And wow, this is I can't wait to get into a little bit of heart with you. Well, you know, I share the leadership, you know, space with you, but I have to tell you, because I said to you before we hit record, I I look up to you so much. I, I love the work that you're doing. I have bought and read your latest book, which we're gonna talk about. So just know that I'm I'm fanning over here as I'm gonna do the interview questions and, and it's delight I'm delighted to be connected with you today. Oh, come on. What you're doing is what we need more of, people putting themselves out there and saying, hey, there could be a better way. So I'm sure we're going to just share a tea and have a lovely chat about love, heart, and work. Absolutely. Okay, here's my first question. Mm -hmm. Five award-winning books. Kudos to you. Have you fully realized how to live your life in full bloom? Oh, Woof. And that sounded like a dog woof. Uh, no. And the reason no is that if I pay homage and tip a hat to our uh, indigenous peoples here in North America, in the land of turtle, uh, I think that um, their wise words are, are what I'm on, which is we're all on a path to the waterfall. And the metaphor there is each of our paths meander. We take our own paths. They're different from one to to another, from Debs to Dan's. Yet we all end up at the waterfall. And that journey to the waterfall, you know, the the next life um, on the other side of that waterfall is 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 sort of the point, is that we're learning. Mm-hmm. And There have been times, Deb, where I have most certainly been in bloom. And there have been lots of times, like right now, where I'm not. And I'm figuring it out. And that's, I think, in part, the point is that we're all figuring it out. There's going to be highs and lows and uh, in-betweens. And that's life. So let's get on with it to the waterfall. Well, and what I love about that metaphorically is it's let's just always meet ourselves, the yoga teacher and me coming out here. If we're not growing and evolving and failing and learning, like you said, we're still going to get to the waterfall. We're human beings, not human Mm. doings. So I love that. I also love that you talk about, you know, the infamous question that you get when, when a new client's kind of interviewing you or checking you out to hire you. And they're like, well, what exactly do you do? How do you Cole's note from birth to where you are now to encompass your life leadership journey? 
And this is one of the things that I love talking about is we pack up those transferable skills on the way to the waterfall. And it's part of our growth and development and failure and learning opportunities. So I always get a kick out of watching your your talks and and the way you write. And I'm now hearing your voice when I when I'm reading your book. And I just think that's such an important kind of stop that people need to do and to realize. And I know it's it's like the extrinsic part of being a new author. You know, we have this internal excitement of, okay, my book's out there and I hope I get this many reviews and whatever. And then we pause and then coach ourselves and go, wait a minute, this is one part of me. This is yeah. one part of my body of work. So I love the way that you frame that. Okay, second question has permanent residency on the show. I think we're over 260 leaders have answered this question. What imperfections does Dan bring to his heart-centered leadership? Mm. <laughs> so there's a uh, there's there's at least 1.4 million, but I'll try to I'll round up to 3. <laughs> uh, first is I trust very quickly. And at times to the detriment of me. So I'll, I'll go all limbs in on, oh, yeah, yeah, I, thanks. I trust you. And that's been a, a terribly rude awakening at times and also disappointing in myself and the other party. So quick to trust is weirdly uh, in my top three. Uh, impatience which is almost like a sibling to um, trusting first and and out of the gut, out of the gate trust. So impatience is one where, you know, uh, as I've matured and aged like a good bottle of wine, I suppose I've learned that skill better than when I was in my 20s and 30s. But I'm still uh, hopelessly itchy for what's next. And... So my impatience isn't in other people. It's in, oh my God, I, there's, there's, I got to do more. And it's not more. I mean, learn more, uh, acknowledge more, um, address something. And my impatience in myself is also that detriment. And then um, the third one is, I mean, if I'm being honest, and I think that's partly my character, um, is I just... I guess I could do a far better job even now as I'm 52 into, I guess, best way to say it is spending time not thinking about changing things. Mm -hmm. And so that might be me. Um, it might be the kids, uh, Denise. It might be society, a relationship. Like I'm I'm always, Deb, trying to, and I, it's part of my charm, if I could even say that, but it is my quest to sort of say, well, what could we improve here? And what could we do differently? And it's a sensational appetite to question everything all the time to the um, rude awakening of my uh, four family members. So that's that would be the third one, I'd say. So in in hearing you say that, you must be a visionary leader. <laughs> In my last role at TELUS, and for those unaware of that organization, it's a 
it's a, it used to be a telecom. Now it's much more than that. And I spent 10 years there. And TELUS is um, an international company with over 120,000 employees, of which I'm still on a retainer. And they do good work in health, in telecom, uh, in ag, in BPO, etc. My my point of this uh, anecdote is I pushed our I pushed our COO um, in about 2013 2014 to say to to acknowledge that I needed to move on to something different from my current chief learning officer role. And I had requested that I start up a troubadour of people to go be external consultants to um, other organizations to help them with culture change and to help them with their own leadership dev, their own, you know, how do we uh, fix performance and da, da, da. But I said, uh, I said, you know, I'd like to make up a word uh, for my title. And, and Josh is like, what? What do you want to call that? I said, well, I'd like to become the chief envisioner. And he mm. sort of looks at me and he's like, that's not even a word. I said, I know, but that's actually the point is that I, I truly believe that part of my character is to envision how we might do things differently if that's a client or whether that's TELUS. He's like, that's never going to make it into print. I'm like, probably not. I have to explain it to the media because it's not a word. So anyway, it's a long way away, Deb, of answering your question say, I think so. Oh, 100%. Uh, just, yeah. It's, yeah, and, and you know, it's, I think as entrepreneurs, it's a gift and a curse. It, it's, a, it's a gift when we use it wisely and, it, and it's a curse when, how you described it, like our brains are always going and it's like, what about this? And I want to learn this and what's next? And I'm, I'm your cousin for sure. I'm, I'm the same. <laughs> My sister from another. And, and, and I love the trust and the impatience. Those are two that have consistently been acknowledged and answered for that question. And and I ask it because I'm always wanting to show the alignment of how we're all imperfect. We're all working on things. And uh, I, I love your answer. What were you going to say about your sister? Oh, I'm saying you're my uh, sister from another mister. Apparently. I am. That's it. Yes. That's yeah. it. Okay. I've been elevated and promoted <laughs> from cousin. I'm in. <laughs> okay. So we talked about uh, leadership culture. You were a previous executive. Share with us the biggest lesson learned leaving an executive role and becoming an entrepreneur. Because I've had a lot of high-level executives, C-suite executives like yourself, who have left a large company and decided to put their stake in the ground and, you know, jump on that entrepreneurial highway. What is the biggest lesson you've learned and how far into being your own boss did it take you to learn it? <laughs> There's a level of Oscar winning theatrics that really are both alarming, comical and brutally ineffective in organizations. And that theatrics, that drama, that willingness for someone to not be real, that drive to almost read lines out of a script that mm. aren't even factual. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it, it took a while to decompress, but... 
there are there are reasons for it, I suppose. You know, Deb. So the the individuals who have to play up to certain personas and characters in order to survive, to get what they need, to get that budget, that request, that whatever, to appease, to placate, to um, extend a fake olive branch. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of survival in corporate land. Um, well said. And, that, and then the flip side, right, is in the receiving of it when, you know, the leader or leaders or whomever are demonstrating that drama because of their hubris or their, the tyranny of power. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you have to sort of recognize, and it's not, it's not systemic pervasive. It's just that there are pockets of it and it's weird. Like, I don't know why people think they can't just be themselves and be human and empathic and so on. You know, the last sentence of the introduction in my book says, you don't need initials after your name to be kind. <laughs> See, that's precisely. And I The way you just described that is my daily conversations, which I know you join me in that. The, the extrinsic value that is still alive and well and foundational and business acumen in 2024 amazes me. And I come from the medical world and corporate wellness used to be me mitigating short-term disability claims. You know, Dan would call and say, Deb, let's, let's get Rose back to work. I heard you're great at getting people back to work. Fast forward now post-COVID in the leadership space, corporate wellness is employee retention. <laughs> and it's 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 fascinating. So I can see us having another conversation. And I, I love the way you framed that. And it's seriously a conversation I have every day. And I have people saying, why does he act like that? Why did she say that? That was hurtful. And I'm just like, wow, this is this is something. But the good news is, is there's people like you and people like me. And I do believe wholeheartedly that we will have a ripple effect between our work and our books and just our mindset and our, our passion to help make this a better place for all global citizens, which leads me nicely into my next question. So what advice, I'm dying to ask you this question, what advice for leaders? Now, when I say leaders, I'm, I'm going to have you encompass from management level all the way up to C-suite who lead with their heart and they're really trying to keep and foster a culture that's thriving, healthy, and vital. What's on the top of that brilliant mind? I could see it. I can see it working. You know, one of the, uh, one of of the, the words that just popped into mind is, is an anagram actually. And I, and it sounds childish, but Deb, when you, when you have the word listen mm. and it's overly used, it's like, oh, you should listen to your people. Yeah, you should. But listen is also an anagram for silent. Yeah. And, and what we're not doing enough of as leaders is listening and being silent as opposed to what happens is 
you know, you're, you're kind of paying attention. You're half on your phone. You're thinking about the next meeting. So you're not present. There's not clarity of concern. And when you lack that clarity of concern and thus you're not truly listening, thus you're not truly silent. And what I mean by silent is obviously that clarity, that focus, a purpose for the, in, the intention of listening so that that individual has the ability to pop off, to uh, give accolade to someone, to, to ask questions. Obviously, there's an irony there with me saying be silent and be listening. But that's the kind of thing is that we become so peripatetic leaders mm-hmm. in the from one to the next, from one meeting to the next, from one action item to the next, from one quarter to the next, from one week to the next. It's just next, next, next. So what's the next, next? Well, um, Gord Downey, uh, sort of former lead singer of the Tragically Hip, had this wonderful line. And in a poem, he wrote, we are the next us. Mm. And we kind of always noodled that line uh, often in the sense of, well, what's the we in that? In, mm-hmm. I'm going back to the organizational leadership example here, right? So the we is me and you in our one-on-ones or me and the team in the team meetings or in the strategy meetings or in the, um, in the strategic planning meetings or in the brainstorm meetings or in the hallway walks, like whatever the case may be. Where's the, where's the listen? Where's the, if we're the next us, then we have to figure out what that is as leaders. So we have to define what we means Mm -hmm. to be that next us. And that next us, I hope, is that listen and silent anagram to have clarity of concern, focus for the person and the team in the moments and the long term, rather than jumping from next to next. How's that? And if that's not the definition of collective growth, I don't know what is. That's beautiful. And I am a big hip fan. So see, we're Canadian. We, we do we things go. like this. It's not just about back bacon and maple syrup. We have the hip. This is true. This is true. Okay, here's the fun part. We're going to switch to my fab four. Just four fun questions. I don't want you to think. Just whatever's on the top of that frontal lobe. We just want it to come out. First question. So, um, okay, John Paul George Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> phrase or word shows up daily in your leadership language? Purpose. Name a book that you've read at any juncture in your life. What was the name of the book? Who's the author? And why was it impactful? At any junction in my life? God, there's been so many, honestly. You know, um, I think the one that threw me for a loop that I've read now four times Um because I hadn't thought of it in the way that she had written it was because I, I grew, so the, the context here, Deb, I know they're rapid fire, but um, the context here is I grew up thinking I was going to be a doctor uh, and then a physio and then switched into the BA, B.Ed program and became a teacher and then moved into higher ed and then moved into corporate um, leadership, et cetera. And so my training was essentially fixed mindset. And Carol Dweck's mindset Mm. opened up my thinking almost 180 to what growth mindset actually means for us as human beings, as individuals, as teams, as leaders, et cetera. And so I keep, I mean, I keep going back to that thinking, God, thank the heavens that that was written because it 
threw me for that. Oh, Dan, you've been thinking, you've been trained wrongly. And so here's the way in which that you need to be actually thinking about how you can open up your mind and your heart, because there's certainly a metaphor there in the book about that, to a different way of operating. I love that. And going back to what you said about that collective we, I, I would love for you to ponder that and, and tell me that at a future date now that you've revisited that book. That's a great book. And it is one that you go back to reread. And when we're in those valleys and, and the what's next, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got to give you some context for the third one. And it's, okay. it's, it's a rapid fire, but you're going to want to kind of ruminate a little bit. I'm granting you a wish. And you get to have dinner with your leader of choice. Now, this leader could be living or unfortunately has passed away. Who are you having dinner with? And what is the dinner conversation? (laughs) Always and still alive. Henry Mintzberg. Henry Mintzberg is um, Professor Emeritus, uh, Des Hotels School of Business at McGill University, Despite the fact that I went to McGill and uh, didn't have a class with him, I met Henry when I put out my first book in 2013 called Flat Army. I reached out to him to see if he might pre-read it as sort of you do in this business. And he sent me an email back and said, I do not blur books, but I'm happy to have a conversation with you. And that has turned into this now 11-year relationship. And he is the most fascinating provocative stallion that I look up to, whom anytime I get to spend time with, makes me realize that why I'm here is not for me. It's to push other people's thinking and what it means to be a leader and a manager. Well, and you're, you're, you're Henry and I'm you, because I got this for Christmas. And <laughs> I thought, okay, this is serendipitous because I'm uh <laughs> interviewing the guy that wrote Work Life Bloom and I'm living my life in full bloom and I couldn't wait to show you that. I thought I thought of you right when I got it and I opened it. I was like, this is funny. And, and we all need a Henry in our lives. And there's a great example of how a no turned into a beautiful opportunity, a meaningful connection, and now a 13-year friendship. Absolutely. I love, I love that. I had uh, an amazing gentleman write the foreword for my book. And he used to be our previous deputy health minister. And he said, okay, I will write your foreword. You need to think about this question and send me however many words, 450 words. How does heart-centered leadership, how is heart-centered leadership like gardening? And I sent it to him. And he's like, we're on the same page. I will write your foreword. So oh, it wasn't, wow. I love the challenge because he wanted to make sure we were aligned and similar. I had him on the podcast. He wrote a great book called Humanizing Leadership. His name's Hugh McLeod. He lives on the island in BC. And I got to meet him this summer when I was out visiting my granddaughter. And it was just so beautiful because he said, he was with his wife and I obviously was with my husband and he said, you were the first couple that we've met off the internet. Oh, wow. Because we had a four-year relationship like this. And, and then we got to have this beautiful dinner and the wealth of knowledge that he, you know, shares with me on a regular basis. 
you know, he's in his 70s and I'm in my late 50s. And it's just every phone call, every Zoom call, every email exchange, he's always teaching me something or having me stop to ponder the what's next. And and that sounds like Henry does that for you. So that's beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. And uh, Hugh has picked a pretty good spot to live given I live in Oak Bay on the island. So good for Hugh. Yes, it's very nice. And uh, our daughter lives in Victoria because our son-in-law is in the Navy. So we've had many trips out to Victoria and uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, I'm going to have you finish the show. But mm-hmm. I just want I just want to reiterate to you that I I look forward to continued conversations with you because I knew this was going to be good. And I'm going to send you my book. And I'd like you to send me your book because I'm going to sign it and put a little note in it because you were so oh gracious. Gosh, yes. You're you're a busy guy. And I'm grateful that you made time to be on the podcast. So from my heart to yours, thank you for for being on the show. Close out the podcast by finishing this sentence for us. Heart-centered leadership is? The understanding of empathetic reciprocity. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. If you're ready to master the art of heart, my new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, is now available on Amazon, or you can click the link below in our description.